This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Musically, how do you create the feeling of love, of injustice? These are questions that my guest composer Nicholas Brittell and director Barry Jenkins have been asking themselves throughout their powerful collaborations. From Moonlight to If Beale Street Could Talk, and now their biggest and most ambitious work together. The series adaptation of Colson Whitehead's Pulitzer Prize winning novel The Underground Railroad premiering on Amazon Prime on May 14th. Now, Nicholas Bertel has also collaborated with, for example, Adam McKay, with his incredible scores on films like The Big Short and Vice. And Bertel's Emmy-winning theme song and the score for the TV series Succession is already iconic. I was thrilled to get a moment of Mr. Bertel's very busy time. He just recently finished off work on the Underground Railroad and now is completely immersed in the score for Succession Season 3. And he is the composer on Disney's upcoming Cruella, starring Emma Stone. In our conversation, we talk about Brittell and Jenkins' powerful collaborations and how they always have experimented with audio, finding inspiration in the strangest places, and quite literally immersing themselves in feelings and big human questions. What do they sound like musically? Also, how Brittell's eclectic musical background, inspired by Vangelis at the age of five, hip-hop, and a classically trained pianist, how does all this find its way into succession? And much more. So Jenkins and Brittell worked closely for over 18 months on the Underground Railroad's musical landscape. The story is about an escaped slave named Cora. She's played by Tusu Mbedu. Cora is making her way to freedom, escaping a Georgia plantation in the antebellum south on a literal railroad. On her journey, Cora is pursued by a bounty hunter, Ridgeway, played by Joel Edgerton. Jenkins' series takes place across five states and over ten episodes. Where do they go? The ones that run away and never return. There is nothing here but suffering. It is time to go. Girl in that bulletin is wanted for the murder of a child. Man lost my mom. Then me. Ain't no way he ever given up on finding me. There's anger in you. He'll fuel you. Yes, well. What's the worst kind of fuel? The worst guy. Savagery man is capable of when he believes his cause to be just. You came all this way on the railroad? Yeah. I left behind all those peoples. Nothing was given. All was earned. Hold on to what belongs to you. Who 
Mm-hmm. What's her name? So, Mr. Brattel, thank you so much for joining me and for this incredible work you've done on film and TV, and especially this powerful work now with the Underground Railroad. Thank you so much. Happy to be here to talk to you. So, power drills and cicadas, those are a part of the musical landscape that you designed for the Underground Railroad. Can you explain? Yes, yes. So, one of the most, um, I think, fascinating things for me about working with Barry is these early conversations that we have on every project. And what's what's amazing about Barry is he has such powerful initial instincts and ideas about things. Um, and the other thing that's amazing about Barry is that while he has these powerful initial ideas, he's also so open to experimenting and exploring things as we go on the journey together of a project. Um, with Underground Railroad, I was very curious, you know, what his initial kind of thoughts were going to be um, and, you know, directions, concepts. And so what happened was it was, um, he was shooting uh, in Savannah at the time. I remember I was in New York and I received a, uh, like an audio text message and I listened to it and it was just the sound of, it sounded like construction equipment. It sounded like d- drilling. And, uh, and he doesn't usually send me audio text messages. So I was a little bit confused. And uh, a couple hours later, I got a text from him that just said, did you get what I sent? And immediately I knew what he was talking about. Right away, you know, I was like, oh, he's talking about going downward, drilling, digging into the earth. What does that sound like? Earth. You know, these, so we started experimenting this idea of like elemental forces almost where I started playing with that sound of the drilling, which had its own rhythm to it. It had its own almost like interesting kind of like tone that was shifting and just taking that and seeing, just seeing where that took me. And that then led to this idea of, okay, if we're exploring earth, what about air? What's in the air, these cicadas? And we got these amazing field recordings of cicadas from Annalie, our amazing sound supervisor. And, you know, so I experimented with those. And what was fascinating with that was taking the sound of these cicadas and, and, and slowing it down. And actually when it's, when, when they're normal, you know, sound, they have very characteristic sound, but you can't make out melodies. It sounds like the sound of cicadas. When you slow it, you actually can hear these melodic shapes and contours. It's really fascinating. I've never wow. done that before. And Barry and I, you know, we worked very closely together. So we're in the room together. We're listening. I remember we were listening to those. It was in LA before the pandemic. And um, we were fascinated by that sound. And so from there, you know, that, that furthered our interest in this kind of direction. So then we explored things like fire, you know, so these different forces and taking the sound of, of fire and weaving it into the music. And so those were some of these initial starting points for things um, what's, you know, what I, what I continually marvel at is that on every project, things constantly evolve as you go through the project. And in particular on something like the Underground Railroad, which is so massive in scope. Um, I worked on it for, you know, over 18 months, uh, with Barry and, you know, before the pandemic, during the pandemic, you know, in different places, I actually ended up moving with my wife to, uh, Los Angeles for six months. And we got in a quarantine pod with with Barry and the editorial team. So I actually spent even more time with Barry working on Underground Railroad than everything else we'd ever done combined, probably, because we were, you know, really in the same place. 
Um, and things evolved a lot. You know, I think, like I was saying, one of the key traits I think of, of working with Barry is that he's so open to experimenting. And this has happened to us on other projects too, like for example, on Beale Street, where we always say to ourselves, we don't, we don't know where we're going. We don't know where we're gonna wind up. And we're also very open to the idea that we're gonna learn things much later in the process that might inform things we did a long time ago. So, you know, there were ideas, for example, on Underground Railroad, um, there were ideas that I had that Barry and I talked about after finishing the last episode that made me wanna go back and actually look at the first episode. So it was this constant, yeah, process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were mentioning Barry, cause you, you guys have a very deep and powerful collaboration on projects with difficult and powerful themes you were mentioning on on Beale Street you were asking yourselves how do you create the feeling of injustice and of course on the Underground Railroad these themes are brutal how do you do that musically it's very difficult and it takes it takes a lot of thought and um and real um sensitivity I think Barry and I are we try to be very like literally sensitive with our feelings about like how things feel. I think we actually spend a lot of time focused on that very question. Like what does something feel like? And, you know, we're never trying, Barry talks about this a lot. We're, we're never trying to sort of push an audience to feel something. We never want to sort of show you how to feel. No, you a can feel of, that in your work. Exactly. Thank you. Cause we're, we're really trying hard to almost like bring the music into the world of the, of the, of the project and to try to recreate or reimagine what that experience of feeling something really is. I think a lot about in, in Beale Street, there's a sequence where Fani is sculpting towards the end of the film where the camera's swirling around him and the smoke is swirling in the air and all of his thoughts and feelings from the past and memories are swirling. And so we literally wanted the music to feel that way. And we took different, different moments of the themes from different parts of the movie and brought them in almost like a dreamlike kind of way. And I think that to me serves as a, there's a sort of almost, I, I call it with Barry this, it's like a very kind of almost experimental musical approach where we're not, we're not necessarily just like trying to write a piece of music that's just notes on a page that we just record. A lot of the time I'll write music and then we will experiment with that music itself. And we'll even, you know, like we're talking about sounds of cicadas or I'll, I'll take elements from another piece that I've written in a sound and warp it and bring it, you know, so there's kind of like a multi-layered processing. I think that really is um, essential to kind of the way that we work together. So what did you guys figure out? What does injustice sound like? It was interesting in Beale Street where we, what, what the, the audio experimentation is what led us to, to what we felt was our answer to that for that film, which was we wrote, I explored the sounds of, of love. That was really the, the initial scope of what we were doing was trying to, there's so many different types of love in Beale Street. There's the sound of, there's, there's uh, you know, family, the love between family members. There's, there's romantic love, erotic love. There's an almost divine kind of love. And we named those different loves after the ancient, the Greek words for those kinds of love. You know, there's agape and eros and philia and- And, um, and the beautiful cello you use uh, in that. That's my wife, Aylan, playing the cello actually. 
And, uh, that's... Tell her it's amazing. <laughs> that's yeah. the violins in the swim scene of Moonlight. Uh, that's that's Tim. That's my that's Tim Fain, an incredible violinist who uh, who we worked with and dear friend. Um, but but to totally answer your question, after we'd figured out the sound of love, it was only later where we actually took that literal music I wrote and we distorted it and we we broke it. We sort of damaged it and bent it and that and you heard sort of almost broken elements of those pieces which represented love in certain parts of the movie, the broken, warped, harmed versions represented injustice later in the film. And that's amazing. So love is actually yeah, it's the, the it's the juxtaposition of injustice. Exactly. The broken the if you damage love and you harm it, that is, you know, that to us felt like what's being lost. It felt like being like the the harm that's incurred. And that felt more effective to us than just writing music that might overtly sound dark or let's say, you know? So I think a lot of the time we're thinking about how do we say something musically? You know, how do we, how do we approach a scene where there's usually like an in underground railroad is a good example. I think of in the South Carolina episode. Um, I remember reading in the book how, you know, it, when you read the book in South Carolina, Colson writes about, skyscrapers in South Carolina in the mid 1800s. And I remember reading the book and saying to myself, I didn't realize there were skyscrapers in South Carolina. And of course there weren't skyscrapers and because it's, it's uh, there's, a, there are these historical anachronisms, these, these ma this magical realism in the story, which is an essential piece of this story. There wasn't a physical underground railroad but for us. There is, you know, in this, in the story. And so I was, thinking about that sound of strangeness, like what does that sound like when you're sort of seeing something that you know is strange, but there, so there's lots of ways you could approach that. You know, initially you'd say, oh, if I put a strange sound, it like, you know, it'll feel strange. And, but that's not the way that Barry and I wanted to approach it. What we actually started doing was saying, well, what's, a, what's music that if you heard it in this world, it would feel almost fantastical. And it would just raise kind of a question mark over you. And so for us, it was actually, I wrote some of the most lush orchestral music for South Carolina. And it's so lush and it's so fantastical that, that to us, it raised this question of like how Cora is looking at this world being like, where, what is this, you know? So that's the kind of thing I think we spend a lot of time thinking about that. It's not just what could work. It's actually thinking about all these different possible ideas and saying, well, which of those to us is the most effective? Sure. 
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information. I ha- Here's a really brief summary of you, Mr. Battelle. So Van Gelis, Chariots of Fire, and his Yamaha synths changed your five-year-old life. Um, you have a background in hip-hop. You are classically trained pianist who can do these incredible orchestrations. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but I can see the whole Brittell package in one character that you've written for, and that's Succession's Kendall Roy. <laughs> is there any truth to that? And is he kind of you? <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know that I'm Kendall. I mean, I think <laughs> I'm that, just kidding. <laughs> Kendall is very, you know, uh, Jeremy Strong. I do know Jeremy Strong, and Jeremy is, is brilliant. Uh, uh, and, and I'm so inspired by what he's done with Kendall. I think... Um, you know, for sure. But you know what I mean. I know. I've had a very, <laughs> I've had a very, I would say I've had a very, um, I've had a very circuitous path, you know, like, like all of us in life, you know, we never, you never know how things connect, you know, and where, how they all wind together. I, it is true. I mean, I, I was definitely so inspired by Chariots of Fire when I was five and that's what got me started playing piano. And, um, you know, I, I was in a hip hop band in college and, and, and I feel hip hop is, you know, one of, if not the most important new art forms in the world in the past 50 years. And I love hip hop and, um, and I also love classical music. And I think actually for me, I, I, I don't, you know, genres exist, but I, I don't, I, I just love all music, you know, and I think every, every genre, every idea, every musical concept has its own, its own thing it's saying. And I think for me, I spend a lot of time, um, and I think this is why I feel very lucky to be able to do what I do, because I think in hindsight, when I look back over all the years that I've loved music, I think I actually spend a lot of time thinking about how different pieces of music make me feel. And, um, and that's, I think that's something we all, you know, we all love music because that's how it makes us, of the way it makes us feel. But I spend a lot of time trying to figure out like, well, why does it make me feel that way? You know? mm-hmm. And I think a lot of my own composition is I love exploring these different ways that music makes us feel, you know? So that's such a part of my own uh, um, personal uh, ethos, I guess. But doesn't that character encompass all those things? I mean, he loves rap and then you can make his you know plot lines are so shakespearean so you can for hear, sure i can hear your music is just so incredible around him thank you well well i i definitely enjoy writing for kendall and i think that um kendall especially for season two of succession yeah kendall was really my starting point for thinking about all the music for season two i wrote a piece for the first thing i wrote for season two actually was a piece called rondo and f minor uh which is on the season two soundtrack and um that was my kind of way in 
to thinking about Kendall and his almost kind of the kind of almost classical melancholy that we give him there. But the thing about Succession, which is I think beautiful about the show and powerful about the show, but also in the music that I try to do is everything is also a bit out of proportion. <laughs> so there's the classical music is at times so grand, you know, and the hip hop beats are, are, are mixed so large and the bass is, you know, I remember mixing some of the music for season one and I was mixing the bass with, with the drums on one of the tracks. And, and at one point I was like, oh man, the bass is too loud. That's, that's, that's raw. And then I was like, you know what? I'm keeping it that way because this show, everything should be a little bit, <laughs> everything should be a little bit out of balance, you know? So, so that's kind of, that's one of the things with succession. There is that range of classical and hip hop for sure. Um, but also I guess the added uh, variation is that it's all a little bit off kilter. <laughs> But I've, I've interviewed Jeremy Strong and, and several people awesome. have talked to me about Jeremy Strong. And one thing about him is it's just he's so incredibly dedicated. And I guess the word for it is method. So doing that rap song with him, was he involved with you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Incredibly. He was, well, actually, I'll tell you the funny story with that is uh, he was in, he was incredibly involved. And, and uh, when Jesse first told me that we were going, that he basically, you know, Jesse reached out and said, so Kendall's going to rap. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, you uh, didn't know. I didn't know it. No, when the series, when the season started, I didn't know that was going to happen in that episode. Um, so it was, you know, it was about a month maybe before that I that I worked on that, and and uh, we we all spoke about it, and and Jesse said, look, um, you know, there's there's two things I think that ne that we need to do for this to work. Uh, first, the music has to be incredibly cringeworthy. <laughs> <laughs> but it also has to be kind of good. <laughs> that was his, that was his balance. And I, and I agree that so much of succession, I think is about that tonal balance where it's so serious, but it's also absurd. Right. It has to sit in, but it can't be just one or the other, because if it's one or the other, it, it actually loses that beautiful, sweet and sour <laughs> nature that it has. Yeah. And so, um, so we started talking about it and uh, Adam McKay and Will Tracy sent over these amazing lyrics. And I, you know, put this them against this beat of mine. And, and basically, uh, I talked to Jeremy, you know, we, and we were talking about the best way to do this. And Jeremy said, you know, so how should I do this? And I said, well, you know, here's, here's, here's what it is. And, and Jeremy said, you know, it'd be really helpful if, if you would actually uh, do it and show me. And I was like, look, I was like, I'm not a rapper, so I don't really think that's a good idea. And he said, no, but I mean, just to, you know, just to really, cause he, cause he's so dedicated. He really wanted to know exactly what, so I said, okay, look, I will make a recording of this for you, but you have to swear to me that not a soul will ever hear this recording. Oh, so, so there's one out there. So I made a recording <laughs> that has been deleted, but I made a recording that, uh, sure. that I sent to Jeremy and he actually rehearsed to the recording I made of the rap for days and days and days. And, and he was, I mean, I can't say enough how amazing his performances of it and it oh, it's that so good. whole thing lives or dies by his performance and he just knocked it out of the park you know um but that is how we work together on that my boy squiggle cooked up this beat for me check it Born on the north back, king of the east side, 50 years strong, now he's rolling in a sick rod, handmade suits, raking in loot, 
five star general, yo, best oh, no. salute, yo. Bitches be no. cat, but the king <laughs> is no. Rock no. Ken W.A. I read it. It is burning my eyes, but I cannot look away. L to the OG. Dude be the OG. And he playing. Playing like a pro. See? L to the OG. Dude be the OG. And he playing. That's amazing. So I think I only have like two minutes left here, but I want to ask you one more question about the Underground Railroad. Um, and that is if you could explain what is chopped and screwed. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and how does that apply to this show particularly? Well, interesting. We Barry and I f first uh, utilized chopped and screwed as a technique on Moonlight. And that was chopped and screwed is a style of Southern hip hop where you take a piece of music and you slow it down. And when you slow it down, it really deepens and enriches the sound. And Barry loves listening to chopped and screwed music and uh, actually he listens to a lot of music chopped and screwed. There's, there's different amazing, uh, you know, DJs and producers who, uh, who do this for, for tracks out there. Like the Chop Stars is one amazing group that does this. Mm -hmm. um, and so we applied that actually to my own orchestral score in Moonlight where we, you know, I would actually chop and screw my oh, wow. music as we were evolving it. On Underground Railroad, while we didn't do chopped and screwed per se in the sense of literally just taking pieces and slowing them, the concepts of audio experimentation that we, that together we first sort of embarked upon together on Moonlight, we took to, the, I would say on Underground Railroad, the fullest possible extent that we, we used every single kind of experimental audio idea we've ever had. And we applied those ideas where, for example, in certain cases, there are certain pieces of music, which I would almost describe as sonic experiments that we had, mm -hmm. where, where um, for example, Ridgeway's character, he doesn't even get music. He gets these sort of sonic notes. Yeah, he's so brutal. And we did not give him music very consciously, but he, but that kind of idea of taking, I literally would would carve out a, a brass note and bend it and warp it and run it through a very harsh tape filter, and that note on its own would would be an idea there. So that so those are the kinds of things that through our first experiments on chopped and screwed on Moonlight, we wound up, um, you know, many years later. Uh, having learned so much through those kinds of experiments and actually we really embrace it now. Could you just contrast Ridgeway with Cora for us so we can listen for that? For sure. Well, actually, in, you know, Cora, there's a lot of music over the course of the series that is directly related to Cora. And actually, I would say that the key characteristic of Cora is as she goes on her journey to all of these different literal states, they're also figurative states and states of mind. So the music, the Cora's music evolves a lot. And actually that was one of the real challenges of the series was that everywhere we went, um, we, we, had, we basically had to imagine whole different musical landscapes for every state. And it added a whole other layer of, um, of scope to what we were doing. Cool, Mr. Bratad, um, yeah. thank you so much. Absolutely, please keep in touch. It was great to talk to you. I love these questions. Thank you so much to Nicholas Bratel. The Underground Railroad premieres on Amazon Prime on May 14th. Succession Season 3 hopefully comes out sometime this fall. There are so many great Bratel scores you can listen to out there, so make sure to do that.
And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review. It really helps others to find us. See you next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.